You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Tara Heeslip. You got it. That was perfect. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Look at that. No prior training to that whatsoever. Amazing. So, <laughs> I think you're the only one ever. Oh, sweet. I'm in the books. So Tara, yes. tell me a little bit about yourself and what do you do professionally? Uh, well, professionally, I, um, I'm a pastry chef. Um, I I used to work in, you know, the industry and large hotels and such, and I've kind of moved more into the private industry um, just because as a person, I'm essentially a walking cucumber with anxiety. A walking um, cucumber <laughs> with anxiety. I have never I'm, heard. Are you from the South? I've never heard these references before. <laughs> so I, I grew up in the South. I'm actually from New York, but I did grow up in the South. But I mean, uh, cucumbers are like, you know, 90% water and, and humans, you know, have relatively the same amount. And so we're essentially just walking cucumbers and, you know, just mix in a whole bunch of anxiety and insecurity. And, and that's essentially me. And, uh, it, it worked out really well being in the culinary industry. Cause you know, as a chef, you don't really have to be up front, like the waiters and waitresses. And so I could stay in the back in my, in my little kind of hole and yeah that was it and I just do my thing and no one talks to me and it was great and now that I'm you know more private it's even better because I don't have to leave home now when you say private did you open up your own business doing pastries I I did so I've transitioned a couple times depending on really what I feel like doing I've done cakes and cupcakes now I do a lot of custom cookies um you know, birthday party things here and there. I try not to do weddings and stuff because the bridezilla thing, it's real. And I just, I can't handle that kind of screaming and stress. So no wedding cakes. That's my only thing I refuse to do. Where did this fascination for um, creating pastries come from? Like, is this, is this is a form of baking, but is it like, I know, cause like, if you consider cooking and baking, they're two different things. Now baking has subclasses right. like pastries, certain like different crafts. Is that how it works? Yeah. I mean, essentially, you know, I, when I went to culinary school, I really lucked out because I, I went to a local technical college. I kind of grew up in a town where I didn't have access to like a, a Johnson and Wales. So I went to this technical school and I got so lucky. My teachers actually graduated from the Culinary Institute of America and Johnson and Wales. And so I got this amazing education for like a third of the price. And I thought I was going to go into the hot foods. I really liked it. And the further it went along, I just realized how complicated it was. And, you know, you add one little thing and it really changes the whole flavor and, and, everything of the plate. And I felt like I didn't know where to stop. And so I would just keep adding and adding and adding. And then with pastry or, you know, baking, really what I like about it is the consistency. I know if I make this recipe every time, it'll turn out the same because it's an exact measurement. And that's really where my love, because I think it's a controlling kind of you know, OCD thing where I like it perfect every time. 
It does it get, does it get hard to replicate things perfect every time? Because I mean, if you want to talk about baking, like with cookies and all, like for me, that is a really long tasking thing. When it comes to baking a cookie, I rather just eat it straight out of the jar. Right, and that's so funny because I hear that so much. And I don't know if it's just because I've been doing it for so long, I'm used to the process and I know that it is in fact a process, but I, I mean, I don't know. I just, it's, it's a weird thing. It's an OCD thing. And, and a lot of people are not made for it. I don't think, I think because, because it is an exact science. And I think a lot of people like, you know, the, the fluidness of a hot foods, cause you can add, you know, more salt if you want, or you can add less with baking. If you add too much baking powder, you've changed the entire thing. And now you're not going to have the same results. And I think that gives a lot of people anxiety. I, I th- it definitely does for me. I think I took a cooking class. Um, they called it like culinary arts in like middle school. And you're basically yep. a- asking middle schoolers to not use the microwave for their food anymore, but to learn how to use the oven. Right. Okay. I still don't even use the oven today. Sad to say it. I'll use the stove top. I'll maybe make some eggs or something. But when it comes to actually putting something inside of the stove, I have actually never learned like the preheat or any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sad to say. I know I'm 21, but you know, uh, every time I would try and open up the door to the oven when I was a little kid, it was really, really hot. So I, I was like, I don't want to get near this anymore, you know? Right. Right. And, and that's, my daughter is like that too. She's still trying to get used to the heat of the oven or like the oil popping, but it's, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's a lost art, but you know, in this day where you have things like Postmates and you know, your food can be delivered. Well, it's not immediate. It's not immediate. Right. Exactly. The problem when baking kind of came in, I remember uh, my buddy, his um, older sister actually um, was doing a date night at the house for her boyfriend at the time. And she was baking a cake. She was baking like this, like, the souffle or whatever it was where you had to be quiet. You couldn't be loud in the kitchen or it would ruin, it would ruin (laughs) it. And I was like, what do you mean? It's food. How is me talking going to ruin this? She's like, you have to be quiet or it's going to mess it up. Next thing I know, me and my buddy, I mean, we're 14 years old. We just start slap boxing each other. And next, you know, it goes into the kitchen and next, you know, someone picks somebody up and is throwing them against the wall. And we're just wrestling around in the kitchen around wonderful, sharp knives and pots and pans. And her souffle was ruined. And right. I and never understood that. Listen, souffle was the number one most failed thing in our culinary class. I, we must have had 20 kids, and I think only three of us actually successfully got our souffles to rise. So I wouldn't feel too bad about that because it, it's true. I mean, they're incredibly difficult, and it takes concentration and just – it's kind of like when you're driving and you have to turn down the radio – to you know, find to, where to, your location is. Right. I don't I don't know why every single time so I start looking for a house, I'll have to turn my radio down to think it'll help me find it. It, it. Me too. Same way. It's like, everybody be quiet. I have to concentrate. Like, if I let this rise one minute too long, like, their world is going to end because it's such a process. <laughs> you know what immediately I just thought of? Imagine trying to make a souffle in a culinary class and one of your classmates is DMX. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like everybody, we gotta be quiet. We're gonna preheat the oven to three fifty. Three fifty, what? What? And just like start screaming. You're like, keep it down. You're gonna ruin the souffle. Listen, there are plenty of kids in culinary classes just like that, and it's it's a really good um, kind of tester to see if you can concentrate. You know, in a really large kitchen, 
because it's just, it's pure chaos. It really is. I mean, you have people yelling behind you, you know, hop behind you and you have all kinds of alarms going off. And so we actually should be incorporating DMX into culinary school just you know, to really get these kids to focus. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to kind of like, it seems like with a lot of chefs or a lot of makers of desserts or fine arts, it seems that with the creativity aspect, it does seem like a lot of them do have a bit of an OCD kind of thing, mostly yeah. because they want to be in control of what they are making. Um, they like to run the kitchen in a way. I know like when I'm making food, I don't want anybody around me when I'm making food because I have right. a process. You know, you're trying to go through a list of things in your head and it, it might like I would never be able to bake only on the consistency of I have ADHD. Mm-hmm. So having patience or anything like that is not something and really that's super good in my wheelhouse. Right. And the list of stuff, I mean, measuring out, like you're talking about measuring before, three cups, two cups, a tablespoon, like a slight change or a slight over kind of bit of whatever measurement, whatever powder you're putting in, whatever amount of milk you're using can ruin the whole consistency of your product. Yep. Yep. It's, it's like I said, I think it gives a lot of people anxiety. It really does. Cause it's just, it's that exactness. And, and you're, you're completely right. I think, you know, a lot of pastry chefs, a lot of bakers, I think they have this level of OCD and they don't always want to admit it, you know, but it, even in my house, my rule is stay out of my kitchen. You know, when I'm cooking, I need you to leave because there is a, you know, such concentration and, you know, you mess up one teaspoon with one tablespoon and you're done. Like you got to start over and then you're wasting a lot of money on ingredients. What's, so it, what's one of ahead. the, I guess, one of the most uh, like treats that you would make today that you've enjoyed ever since? Like, do you have one that was very inspirational in your life? I know like if I was going to learn how to make anything just in the kitchen, my grandma around wintertime makes these things called pretzel rods. And I'm not mm-hmm. talking about, uh, it's like the pretzel rods you buy from the store. But what she does is she lays out a bunch of M&Ms, like all these different things of trail mix and nuts all over the all over this pan rolls it in caramel the pretzel stick and then rolls it all over the chocolates and everything yes oh that's delicious i love those (laughs) and then she free then she freezes them and she gives it to us on christmas and i swear to you around this time everybody in our family is asking when are we getting this when are we getting this when are we getting this and it's oh man it's literally like an orgasm for the mouth i hate to say right it is. Yeah. I've told her oh, that and too. And she's like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And that's amazing. And I mean, that's really, that's what it's all about, right? Is, is, you know, as, as a chef or anybody is you really, you want that for people because we're doing this because we enjoy watching people, you know, enjoy what we're eating or cooking rather. So I totally get that. And for me, I think it's really, so it's really inspired by my husband. My husband is a, a New Englander. He grew up in Maine. And they have this thing there called a whoopie pie. And I've never heard of it. I grew up in Florida. And essentially what it is, is it's two cakes with a cream filling. Think of like a really big Oreo, like a cakey Oreo. And for years, I could not get this recipe right. I would try and try and try. I would change everything. And then finally, about two years ago, I nailed it. And ever since then, it's like, 
all I can make. And his coworkers have to hate me because their waistlines have to be enormous. It's, I'm sending it in like weekly <laughs> and I've got no complaints, but it's just one of those foods. My daughter loves it and it's amazing. So if you never had a whoopie pie, you have to have one. What's inside of a whoopie pie? So it's essentially, it's like two chocolate cakes, but it's cake that doesn't crumble on the outside. And then in the middle, it's just like a cream filling, almost like a, like an Oreo cream filling. And I mean, it's big, you can hold it in your palm and, and it's, you know, it's a good size. And I, I don't think they're called anything else. I was, you know, I was looking the other day trying to figure out if, you know, they had a different regional name. And I think they're really just in like a New England Northeast thing. Um, but they're, God, they're amazing. <laughs> you can order them online from what I hear. I think the recipes that we like have today, like information wise, like if you just bother to search something up on the internet, like if you want to create something, it's amazing. I mean, for me, like I have a Christmas, I have a Christmas tradition on Christmas Eve. It's steak, shrimp and cookies. That's what That's, it is. Not all necessarily at the same time. Cause that'll probably wreck hell on your digestive system. <laughs> but we, we watch a Christmas story. It was always a tradition with me and my dad. We'd watch a Christmas story, eat steak and shrimp. And then later that night he would bake cookies and I kind of sit there and watch him, but he'd be like, how do you want your cookie? My dad likes his chocolate chip cookies really, really mushy. So where it's mm -hmm. like, it melts in your mouth. Basically. I'm the type of guy where it's like, burn the shit out of it. What do you mean <laughs> burn the shit out of it? I want to bite into it and I want it to taste like you just scooped it off the grill. He's like, you really want that? I'm like, dude, it's so much better than having a mushy cookie. But that's where it gets crazy. The idea that your baking skill, no matter how you try and perfect it on the recipe, it could be crafted for a certain individual in a completely different and unique way. Right. Yeah. And it, it really is crazy. And it's, and it's one of those things too, where you can't take it personal because someone might love it and the person next to them hates it. And it's like, it's not a personal attack on you. It's preference, you know? And, and I don't know if I'd want my cookie burnt, but I definitely like them crunchy. And a lot of people do like a really soft bake. Like I think a chocolate chip cookie would just be a great battleground. You know what I mean? It's everybody likes their chocolate chip cookie different. You have the soft, you have, you know, the real gooey and then like us, the more kind of the crunchy texture and and it's just it's crazy like you said how one thing can completely divide people what it's just food <laughs> what's yeah but food is very impactful in today's oh absolutely world. what's one like style of i guess what, what's one type of cookie that you like the most um i oh can already goodness. tell you mine's oatmeal raisin I had one, I had an oatmeal raisin today and it, they're delicious. I love oatmeal raisin. I really love salted caramel toffee cookies. Um, I don't know what, it's like that perfect sweet and salty balance. I, I could eat those morning, noon and night. I think my cholesterol levels just went up. Yeah, you and me both, man. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny because I'm a big fitness freak, so I never eat sweets. And when it comes to like, I remember um, my buddy's mom made a giant tub of oatmeal raisin cookies. And my buddy's like, yeah, my mom made you some cookies. And it's like, yeah, they're for the house and everything, but she made you a couple. She gave me a little bag of a couple. I ate those. And then when I ended up watching their house for a weekend and I found that jar of cookies, I ate at least 60 something oatmeal raisin cookies, like at least three pounds of it in not even an hour i felt so bad i had to go to the gym and run like 20 miles afterwards 
<laughs> but it was worth it admit it like you kind of enjoyed it right it was just worth let go. every last bite and i blamed it on their newfoundland dogs that they own <laughs> that see now that's amazing i have a puggle and she eats everything and see i should i should adopt that tactic because really i'm just like yeah i ate it sorry <laughs> and my husband is like you he's not a sweets guy and so he and he's my biggest critic everything i make i'm like you gotta try you gotta try and he's like i don't know i don't want to but you know what are you gonna do someone's gotta try it do you think that like like your kids and like i guess your husband or do you think that it's a little bit of a like when you cook something they're the kind of the test subjects but how hard is it for you to kind of get the criticism from them? Like, I mean, for me, like when I create something and you're, you obviously want someone else to taste it beside yourself. Cause anything I think somebody creates, they're going to automatically think is good. And then right. when they start kind of giving it to somebody else and they start seeing the person's face, like this is terrible, but I don't want to hurt your feelings. So yeah. But then you can kind of read it on their face. How hard is it for you to kind of handle a little bit of criticism in a way? Do you find that you can take it in a better stride or do you find that it kind of, hurts you a little bit you know i i can take it now i will say this when i first started in the industry i didn't realize how i want to say male dominated it is and and men tend to be less emotional than women when it comes to certain things it's just a fact you know and and so if you're in the industry there's kind of a joke that the walk-in cooler is always the place you go to cry because you can shut the door and, and I worked with some chefs who were real Gordon Ramsay's. We had an executive chef who used to throw plates. And at first I was like, oh my God, like this is not for me. But as you go along, you really do start to, you know, you toughen up and you get feedback and, and really it only helps you. And my husband, he'll eat anything. The man's a garbage can. I love him, but he, I have to kind of take what he says with a grain of salt because I think in a way he doesn't want to hurt my feelings, you know, so he'll just say, Oh, it's great. Um, my daughter though, she's like my harshest critic. She'll, she won't eat anything. <laughs> so her mother is a professional chef and my child will literally eat nothing I make. So it's, it's really, it's a weird thing. You know, I, I try and take more account of people I don't know, you know, their opinions as opposed to my own family. Cause you know, is your family, they're kind of softies when it comes to that kind of stuff. How kind of difficult is it for you when you bake something? Like if you want to give something, like you make too much of something and you want to kind of give it out to maybe your kids' friends or their kids' family. Like to think also that like a baker also has to keep in mind somebody's allergies or someone's maybe allergic to a certain peanut or something. Right. And I am so terrified of that to this day it scares me to death. My daughter has a birthday party tomorrow. And one of the girls has an egg and dairy and nut allergy. And I mean, egg, dairy and nut allergy. Uh, yeah. And it's like, Oh my gosh, I don't, you know, I guess if I really took a long time, I could find something. You got to eat air. Sorry. <laughs> that's it. Essentially. I write like that's, that's what I feel. It's like, Oh my gosh. And I don't want to be responsible for something like that. That's terrifying on my part. So I told her mom, I'm like, uh, just bring her whatever cupcakes she can eat. And you know, I'll be good with that. But generally I feel like as long as I label, you know, as an adult, it's kind of your responsibility to know I put if there's nuts in, in the food. So <laughs> 
I'll never forget. I used all right for lunch religiously in like my first like from like first to third grade. I was eating nothing but like peanut butter sandwiches like every day for lunch. That would just be what I wanted to get packed. Then I remember we got a letter um, that was on all of our desks in class, and it was like for most of our school. And it was like there was a kid that was coming to our school that had a nut allergy, so we couldn't have like basically anything peanut butter or anything. I was mm-hmm. so pissed. Mm-hmm. I have never I, lost it. I flipped my desk. I sharpened my pencil very, very like fast and dramatically. Yeah, I was gonna say you're not dramatic like at all. <laughs> this was obviously a super inconvenience. She was like, "You just can't eat peanut butter, Robbie. I'm sorry. We got to think about other kids too." And I'm like, "Screw other kids." Yeah, yeah. My, and then my lunch is important. Right. And well, and then you start getting into like, oh, you can have sun butter and and almond butter and stuff, and like, and I feel for these people who have allergies and it's terrible, but I'm all about the real thing. I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I want real butter in my baking. I just, I can't do the alternatives. And, you know, when I was a kid, I, I'm a little bit older than you. I went to school more of like the early nineties and eighties. There was no separation. If you had a peanut butter allergy, you just kind of suffered through it. It was like, there was no separation. I felt like it really didn't exist that much either. You started hearing about allergies now, but back in the day, it seemed like my, even my parents were like, I don't, we didn't know about any of these allergies. This, no? this has to be recent. I'm like, well, I think maybe people had them just not, maybe everybody complained if they don't feel good after they eat a McDonald's yeah. cheeseburger. Well, yeah because you're eating practically shit. That's exactly it. It was just a different type of generation, I suppose. I don't know. I I love millennials. I do. But I also like there's some issues going on with these kind of clashes and generations. And and I don't know how to feel about it because like now they're very healthy. And that's amazing. And I love that. But also, I really like to make cookies and we're not really meshing on that level. (laughs) So and I really don't want to make like an avocado cookie. Um, I actually, though, I did have an avocado cheesecake, which was pretty amazing. And it kind of changed my view a little bit, but I don't know how like avocado chocolate chip sounds. If we were going to talk about what types of things pastry wise you would prefer to be making or you specialize in such as you have a certain kind of favoritism over one of the things such as like cakes, cookies, cupcakes, pies, what would you say yours would be? Even if it's not of the stuff I just listed, if there's another one out there. I'm a hundred percent a cookie and cupcake person. I think it's the best of both worlds. I mean, cupcakes are essentially just mini cakes. It's mini cakes without the hassle of having to, you know, really. Yeah, exactly. It's a single serving and it's like, I don't have to go create. There's only so many ways to decorate a cupcake. You know what I mean? It's like frosting sprinkles and a garnish. You know, when you get into the cakes and stuff like that, it's like the sky's the limit. And I just don't have it in me (laughs) to really do a six foot cake, you know? So So, when you're reading kind of like the instructions to, you know, or a recipe book in a way to kind of craft out, you know, either make like a shepherd's pie or whatever, uh, let's let's stick on a pastry, maybe like a certain cupcake. Do you ever find that you want to kind of add something and change it into your own idea? Like maybe looking at it, be like, wait, if I, instead of doing that, why don't I try this and see if this will get a better reaction from my family? Um, it depends as far as like the base the core recipe, I never change that. Cause like I said, I really like that consistency, but as far as the flavors, I do play around with the flavors. I'm always careful. There are certain flavors that people just really don't. It, it's, it's kind of like the cookie divide. So 
a lot of people are really weird about lemon and orange. And so those are the two flavors that I've not really been brave enough to throw out there. Um, but I, I mean, I, I definitely think if you're in the pastry field, you should be experimenting and trying, you know, I, I did a, a chocolate cupcake with chili uh, frosting. And it sounds disgusting, but it was amazing. And it was like spicy frosting. What do you mean chili frosting? What do you mean by that? So like, I actually put um, cayenne pepper. So I would, it's like a pepper frosting. We'll say like a cayenne I put, pepper I, frosting. I eat salads and I put cayenne pepper on everything. Yeah. And it's amazing. And it goes with chocolate. It's, it's very good. And like, you know, it's popular in Mexico and to have like a, a spicy chocolate. This sounds, this sounds like something off Snapchat where they have the stories called late night munchies and it's people putting like pickles and Doritos together <laughs> and then yes. putting <laughs> Cheetos and sour cream. And I'm like, what, what are you, what's savagery? Yeah. I recently saw pickle pizza where they're putting pickles on pizza and I'm kind of intrigued. I want to try it because I don't know. Pickles and cheese might be okay. You want to know something that's really freaking insane, which was something I did when I was a kid. When I, The only reason I remember this is every time I pass an Olive Garden, I immediately think of this. We had I had one dinner with my grandparents and – I used breadsticks, the Olive Garden breadsticks that everyone loves, yeah. and I put them in my vanilla ice cream. Something about the garlic and vanilla really oh, yeah. made something beautiful. That's amazing, and I, I never would think to do that, but that actually does sound really good. <laughs> I'm a garlic person. Like When a recipe says two cloves, you're putting in six. Like That's just how it is. That, see, that's an interesting thing too. You have to get to learn and really know your spices. I've been eating clean yeah. for a while, so a lot of my meals consist of salads because like I said before, I'm a fitness freak. So right. it's mostly clean meals, nothing really fried or anything. But when it comes to – you can only eat salads every day for every meal for a little while, then eventually you want to get some actual flavor in there. Yeah. So I decided to learn my spice cabinet and I realized if you dump oregano on anything, it makes it taste like Domino's pizza crust. Yes, it does. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and you have to be a very small amount of oregano because I, I made the mistake of like, oh, we'll put a lot in here and it's not the same, man. I make that <laughs> mistake every meal I make, even today with cayenne pepper. I'm like, oh, I'll yes. use a lot of it, and I'll dump it on there. Next thing you know, I'm like, <sighs> like, yep. like choking. You know, <laughs> someone's trying to talk to you while you're eating, and you just inhale a nice chunk of cayenne pepper that goes right down your throat. Next thing you know, you're dying for 20 minutes. Oh my gosh, yes. I was I was vegan for a hot minute. I thought I would try it out, and I was really big on like avocados with cayenne pepper and same thing. Just like cover it and not even thinking about it. Forget it. It's like you can't eat for the rest of the day. <laughs> so your mouth is just on fire. Especially like if you're trying to make something and you put cinnamon in it, you have mm -hmm. to be very, very, very generous with the cinnamon. I mean, yes. any of that, like if you're doing that on French toast, you only need a tiny bit because eventually if you do a whole lot, next thing you know, the whole thing tastes of cinnamon to the point where you can't even eat it. Absolutely. There, there are some that are almond extract is another one. A lot of people make the mistake. They'll make almond cookies and they put a little bit of almond extract. And it's just one of those really strong almond or really strong extracts. I was watching a show the other night they have on, I think it's Netflix and it's called Nailed It. And it's essentially these people who want to be chefs and bakers, but I mean, they just, they really can't do it. And, and they're trying really hard and they give them these extravagant cakes and they have to make them in like an hour. It's ridiculous. 
but every single one of them you just see dumping just not even measuring vanilla and almond and lemon extracts and that show gives me such anxiety i'm yelling at that show like it's a football game <laughs> it's, it's amazing how bad people can be at cooking and it's kind of sad because i wish you know they would incorporate this more like you had in middle school this is a life skill that people really should know i think the one beneficial food I made in culinary arts class in middle school was there's a thing called puppy chow. And I'm not talking about the beneficial dog food. These things were like little pretzel, like Chex Mex style, um, like the little pretzels that you get in Chex Mex. The, not like the ones like uh, rice Chex. Right. They looked yep. like mm -hmm. that, but like the consistency of like a, a little uh, square pretzel. And it was covered in chocolate and like that powder stuff they put on donuts and yes. you, you put it all in a bag and you shake it up in the bag. And then when you bit into them, they were like chocolate. You can buy them at, um, I think, uh, Chex Mex, um, that company that does like, uh, the little bags of them, they made one like that too. It has like Oreo and stuff in it. So good. I mean, kids were like stealing each other's bags of these things, trying to make it. I was trying to make like 80 batches of them. I was, I was like, I'm going to sell this like drug. <laughs> Like, <laughs> right, just little baggies on the corner. <laughs> I was like, yo, you want to get that sugar high? You trying to yeah. get that sugar high? Like, yeah, that, man. That sounds like a really good, like, zombie apocalypse food because it'll probably last forever and you could just carry it everywhere. No nutritional value, though. No none, nutrition. none. But you know what? It'll give you that high to run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'll give you that sugar rush. You better hope you keep eating it, though. You get that crash. Right. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. That's. <laughs> Now, do you think you took anything away from, from, you know, your cooking class, your culinary arts in middle school? Because we had it in our high school and my husband took it and he said it was essentially a lot of like microwaving. And I think even just the basics of learning how to make a, a hard boiled egg is really beneficial, but not like microwaving scrambled eggs. See, the problem was that we did a lot more studying and preparation without actually using any of the equipment. Mm -hmm. um, my teacher was kind of lazy in a way. So it was like, we're all just sitting there doing a bunch of writings and types of things like, Oh, step one, you do this step two, you do this, like writing out the directions and how to make it. And I think we only made food like four times total throughout the whole entire year in that class. It was pretty upsetting. We thought we were going to like, she started off with making something like the first day. And then everything after that, like we were thinking we we're going to be making stuff every day. Nah, it didn't happen. We made oh. nachos one day. That was pretty cool. But I think it was like the third time around. But if you want to talk about something, like if it actually helped me, like with baking or if I thought it was a good class, no. I mean, the only thing it really gave me beneficial-wise is to realize when I heat the oven up to like 350 degrees – to make sure I grab it with an oven mitt when I put the pan <laughs> in there because I grabbed it barehanded. And it was one of those moments where like you grab it and I pulled it out of the oven and I'm looking at my buddy like turned around and then it immediately hit me. So it was like a delayed reaction of how hot it was. Oh yeah. Just drop this whole plate of like nachos that we were making all over the table. And he's like, dude, the nachos. I'm like, bro, my hand. <laughs> Well, hey, listen, that was a life lesson, right? So there you go. That's a beneficial lesson you took away from that class. I just love what the teacher said to me. She just looked at me. She goes, yeah, go to the nurse. And I go to the nurse and she's like, maybe you need to lie down. I'm like, fuck, lie down. My hand is like completely like ash. 
Oh my gosh. We had people, see now we had chefs. Um, I worked, I was the head chef at the Waldorf for a while and and we had this one chef and he would just make people so frantic with his screaming and we had a girl reach into the ovens and those ovens in those kitchens can get you're talking 500 plus degrees and she opened the door and not even thinking she pulled a whole pan out without putting any gloves on at 500 degrees and i mean she just had black marks all up her arms she burned it down to the muscle it was awful see this is what i try and tell people um i work in housekeeping um, and it's pretty, it gets really, really stressful, especially like during a summer day, you're very busy. So people are constantly around each other trying to get through like the laundry room and stuff. Um, you're dealing with hot linen, a lot of like, like 800 pound carts of heavy linen. And it's one of the jobs in the hotel industry that actually, it's like one of the sections where a lot of people quit or a lot of people get fired basically because of how on top of you, each other you guys are. Um, but one of the most jobs where you will see like people quitting or people getting fired is in the kitchen because of how hot it gets in there and how you guys are right on top of each other 24 7 literally working around each other reaching over each other and the problem is when it comes to cooking something you're creating something so when you're creating something you don't want anybody in your space you want your own little bubble and you don't get that when you're working in a kitchen especially on like a rush hour type scenario you got people yelling and screaming and that's where tensions get high and that's where mistakes get made because you're getting yelled at you're like what and then you next thing you know you reach into the oven and the same thing like you were saying you grab something that might be extremely hot right and it, and it's so crucial you know because people you know you know that you can get food sickness but you know, when you're going out to eat, that's not really in the back of your mind. But as a chef, that's always on your mind. You can kill somebody if you are not paying attention and you're not on top of your game. And, you know, I think chefs really do thrive under pressure because you do have, you've got the head chef yelling at you. You've got your, your buddy next to you yelling, you know, his order's almost up. You've got plate up. There's just so much. You got the food and beverage manager. He's all over you. And, you know, and you're trying to memorize five, six orders in a row. And between all of that, you're so conscious of you have to know the temperature of the chicken when it comes out, you know, the steak, the seafood, because everything is a, literally a life and death situation. You, you mess up one order and they have a shrimp allergy and whoops, I put, you know, shrimp rice on the plate. They could die tonight and that's on you. Now, I, I know crazy. I know undercooked food. Um, is actually a very big issue when it comes to health concerns because of how sick somebody can get from it. I know I live in a I live in a beach town, so a lot of our main export and a lot of our stuff that's created at like restaurants is a lot of seafood related products. So there is a bit of a thing like people getting sick from an undercooked fish. Um, uh, that that has happened a couple of times with a few restaurants trying to you know on a busy night trying to rush orders out. How big of an issue is it to have an undercooked pastry? Because I feel like that does not get you as sick. I know that when I was eating a tub of um, cookie dough with my buddy, uh, his mom said that can actually make you really sick. But you know I felt fine, so I don't know. Is it a bigger issue with pastries, or is it less of an issue? I, I really think it's, you know, it really can be the same issue. Fish is a whole kind of world in its own. You know, you can get all kinds of crazy things from fish and, you know, you can actually die from eating oysters and stuff like that. If you have autoimmune disease, because you can develop these kind of like bacterias and infections, you know, but with pastry, I'm, I'm still working with milk and eggs and, and all kinds of things that can go bad. 
especially if it's left out for long periods of time, I cringe when I see people eat cake and stuff that's been left out for, you know, two or three days. And it's like, no. Yeah. A lot of people that on like Thanksgiving or certain holiday that, you know, leave a pie in their fridge for like a week and a half and then decide to start eating it. That might, that probably makes you cringe a lot. Oh, for sure. And it's just like, even within that, there's even subcategories within culinary, like you can't store certain foods below other foods. And it's, it's, it's a process. It really is. And if you don't know what you're doing in pastry and in hot foods, any of it, you know, you can't store salad below chicken. If that chicken drips into your salad, well, now you have raw chicken in your salad and your salad's not going to be cooked, you know, and, and, it's even in everyday life in your fridge, you shouldn't be storing certain foods above other foods that have the possibility to drip and, and kill you essentially. Do you, okay. So if I had to ask you, if you had one treat that you have never really been able to perfectly do, what would you say it would be like one of the most difficult ones that you've come across at least? So making croissants is actually a process. It's a, big process. And I've, I've never actually even attempted it. And I'm kind of working myself up to it because it's, it's a layered dough. So you have to roll out the dough and then you have to roll butter into it. And then you have to fold the dough and then you have to roll more butter. And I'm, you're talking layers and layers and layers. And the process takes forever. And people don't realize that, you know, these croissants, these real croissants that are made in France and such, these people are just amazingly precise and and they know what they're doing and you can't just replicate that you know um croissants are i'm working i'm getting there one day <laughs> it's it's my thing i i feel like in order to make it perfect i'm gonna have to go to france and just learn off of some amazing french chef do you think that that's actually something that actually helps out like going to a place where that kind of food or really is seen more or originates from that can actually help you to learn the process of how to actually make it. Cause I know like a lot of people like chocolatiers or people that are um, like, I guess I wouldn't say bakers, but like they make a lot of sweet desserts such as like things that happen to do and consist of chocolate. A lot of that stuff kind of originates in Germany. And I've heard a couple of people talk about when they make their chocolate and stuff, they actually go to a, a place like this and learn how to actually understand the process of it all. For sure. I mean, for sure. And if you're young and you, you know, you're in culinary school and you can get some kind of like externship, I would recommend it. Do it. Why not go to France? France is essentially, you know, where it started and, and they just have an amazing process. But I think also the great thing about culinary is, is the, with the ability to travel comes this amazing culture within the kitchen of, you know, people from other countries. I, I had a head chef who was from France and I worked with people from China and Korea and they all have their own process. And so if you have that ability to work next to these people, you will inevitably pick up these kind of little nuances. And, and it's, it's like traveling the world without really having to leave your hometown. Do you, do you find that like when you're going into the kitchen and you're kind of, do you grab all your ingredients at like go to the store and get it all the night before? Do you try and get it right on the spot, make sure you have everything crafted out? Or do you tend to find stuff left over in the kitchen that you have, like in the refrigerator? Like, oh, I could put this together and combine something. Um, a little bit of both. So there's, so there's a thing in culinary, it's called mise en place, and it's essentially everything in its place. 
And so what, what you want to do in the kitchen, ideally, is you want to pre-measure everything, all your ingredients, have it out. And so you're essentially just throwing it in the pot all at once. A lot of the chefs on like Food Network, you'll see them, they'll have everything in their little glass bowls. And, and that's how I work, only because that's how I was taught to do it by my teachers. And it, and it really stuck with me because I feel like anything else is just chaos. I, <laughs> I had an incident actually today where I needed sour cream for something and I realized that it was half gone and I had to run out in the middle of the process and I hate that. It's, it's just so unorganized and chefs really shouldn't be unorganized because I think, again, that creates problems with food safety and, and you know hazards with all kinds of things that really shouldn't be happening. Yeah, it's literally like if you're <laughs> taking a shower and you get to the part where you start putting on soap and then the shower water cuts off. Like you're yeah, stopped right exactly. there. That's the same yeah. feeling because then you have to stop immediately your mindset, everything. I mean, when you get into like, let's say you're having a rough day, baking for you is probably a great form of relaxation. Absolutely. It's, I can zone out and I'm in my own world. Yep. Do you find that it sometimes if you don't have a clear mind or anything that you can actually mess up your flow a little bit? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. In, insanely mess up. And, and it's so hard to backtrack because you know, like I said, with the baking, you add a little bit too extra and you're done. And it's like, if I can't remember, and if I'm not measuring out beforehand, then it will 100% happen. My daughter is probably screaming in the next room. My dogs are going insane. My husband can't fold the laundry and I just want to get this cake done. So <laughs> it, you have to be organized in this. And, and I think that, you know, kind of circles back around to the OCD process of knowing what you're doing every time. Now, how hard is it for you to kind of put so much effort into making these treats, knowing that someone is just going to devour them, like they're not going to be on display or anything? Because I mean, I've looked at some of your work, and it's amazing to see the amount of creative talent that goes into these things. I mean, you have things oh, that look you. like cars, you have things that look exactly like Pokemon. I'm guessing that's for your kids. Um you, you have so many of them where I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm just like, imagine someone's about to bite into that and you just made it. Like if I was you, I would be like, oh, don't you dare bite into my <laughs> Mona Lisa yeah. right now. It's, it's definitely, you, you have to learn to just let it go. I mean, you're right. It's, it's this huge process to essentially be turned into shit, right? Like that's the end game. Yeah. And, and it's kind of, it's bittersweet being, being a baker is bittersweet because you love the process. You love, you know, what you created and then you're like, well, it's going to end up being flushed tomorrow. So <laughs> I see what you did there. Bittersweet. I like yes. it. And a poop pun. I love it. Absolutely. Well, so, I mean, is this kind of your end game? Is this something that you want to do? Do you want to keep on continuing and opening up more of a, 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 I know you have your pastry business and everything, but you want to kind of go and get this a lot bigger, like try and capitalize on this and maybe turn it into a company that's going to have people under you? Or do you feel like you want to be your self maker? You want to be the person that is really only involved in it? Um, I don't, you know, I don't really know. I'm just kind of riding the wave right now and I'm really content. I do a lot of work with my sister also. She's, she's an amazing, um, I, I want to call her a pastry chef. I mean, she really does amazing work too. And she's, she has no formal training, which makes me think, I don't know what I was doing because <laughs> I went to school and everything. And clearly, you know, it, 
it's pure talent for some people. Um, but I think if I were to ever do anything, it would probably be just a very simple cupcake shop with my sister. Um, I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm more of like behind the scenes person. And I think if I went too big, that's going to be a lot of people talking and I'm getting anxious just thinking about it. <laughs> you know, I, I admire people like you who do podcasts because you, you know what you want to talk about. And I'm over here just kind of stumbling through the process. I had no idea where our conversation was going to go. I just was like, I, she bakes things. Let me see if I can. Yeah. It's honestly, well, that's, that's what I love. And that's, that's, yeah, that's what I love to try and do with this podcast is I want it to make it like a conversation where you don't feel like you have to kind of, you know, like, oh, let me study your topics real quick. I just like, no, right. let's just, let's just talk for a little bit. You know what I mean? See where it right. goes from there. And I think that's like, we, we all have the capability to have a conversation. So it's like, might as well at least take a shot at it. Right. Sure. And I mean, you know, like, and, and I'm, I'm interested too, because, you know, like I said, you're a little bit younger than me. Now, do you think your generation is a little bit more at a disadvantage with this stuff just because you've never really had to learn it? Because I, like I said, I feel like cooking really is a life skill that's necessary because if the internet and everything were to go away tomorrow, I feel like there's an entire generation that would really be thrown under the bus. You know, do you feel like pressure to learn how to cook, but you just don't know where to start? Um, that's a really good question. Wow. Dang, I've never been caught off guard like that. <laughs> well, I see, I talk about technology a lot with this podcast, how comfortable has made us and made us kind of believe in this thing called false communication that kind of creates stress and anxiety where we're seeing it at younger ages. But right. when it comes to learning essential values and tools to use in our everyday life, I mean, nobody in school taught me how to balance a checkbook. Nobody in school taught me how to, you know, beware of quicksand. You know, nobody told me these things that I thought as an adult were going to be skills and need to learn more about. Um, I think towards high school was when it was like, hey, maybe you should take a cooking class and see if you know how to cook your basic essential stuff. I mean, I'm the type of guy that can, I'll make a salad. A lot of my stuff does not need to be cooked. A lot, at least, you know, vegetables are all, I usually eat all my vegetables raw. You know, I eat like a can of tuna and it actually leads in, you want to talk about, you know, oysters being bad for you, mercury poison from cans of tuna. My doctor checked my blood levels and was like, how many cans of tuna do you eat a day, man? I'm like, oh, really? he's like, dude, your mercury levels are pretty high. I'm like, wow, that's oh. scary. Yeah. But he that's, was like, that's really scary. He goes, your cholesterol though is amazing athlete i'm like yeah because eat nothing but fish all the time man but when it comes to like actually learning the process of stuff i mean i'm the type of guy when in my high school years much like most of the kids nowadays they would take a box of taquitos throw them in the microwave not do anything to them besides just let that five minutes or six minutes, whatever on the microwave go off, you're reaching at the left to the right end of the plate and then working your way into the middle of the line of taquitos. And by the time you get to the middle, it's freezing cold. You know, right. those right. were simple things that seemed like a more of a hassle at the time when I just wanted something quick to go. When yeah. I realized if I asked my parents to, you know, cook it in the oven or something and they would rotate them and they would do it right. And then I get a nice crispy taquito, way better enjoyable meal than that quick second where I'm just trying to shove taquitos in my face. 
Right. And, you know, and right now it really is all about instant gratification, right? Like everything is instant. I could pull up a, a recipe instantly. I can, you know, do whatever I need to do. Instant. I can order anything I can dream of instantly. It'll be at my door in two days. That's what you know, upsets and, me because my yeah. little cousin the other day was like, hey, we're going to order food delivery. Me and my friends, uh, can you Uber Eats for us? I'm like, what, what do you? I've never used Uber Eats. Can you tell me what this is? And I, I literally haven't. And he's like, well, they can go anywhere. I'm like, what do you mean they can go anywhere? Do they have a menu? No, like you can get anything you want from anywhere. and Some dude will pick it up for you. I'm like, you are selfish as hell. And he goes, what do you mean? I'm like, back in my day, and I don't want to sound like an old ass, but my dad gave me 20 bucks for the weekend to go to my friend's house after doing chores for the week. And when you ordered Domino's pizza or Papa John's pizza, you were stuck. What was on that fucking menu? Yeah. And he's yeah. like, well, well, I want pizza, but John wants a double cheeseburger from McDonald's. I'm like, well, tell John to walk his ass up to McDonald's and get one. But when you yeah. order off a menu, you shouldn't have make the person go around to multiple different places because you want everybody else in the group on something different. That was the whole point. The whole oh, well, we just have to order what's on the menu. Sorry, they don't have this. That's You need that in your life because sometimes, I mean, I don't want to say you need to be told no, but you need to understand that you can't have everything you want. Right, right. It's, there's, uh, the, the thing I hate now is I just feel like too, there's too much choice and that really can take away from the experience of, of just eating, you know, and like you said, it's, especially when you have a bigger household too, you know what I mean? It's like everyone's pulling from, from different places and with the Uber Eats, it's too easy. You can have one person bring you six different meals. And it's like, there's an experience too about eating as a family together with, you know, the same food and experiencing it in different ways. And the whole, the whole thing has just changed. And and it's just so bizarre to me. And I don't know if it's because I, I did grow up in a, a different generation. You know, I was more of like an 80s, early 90s child. And well, firstly, we just didn't eat out. You know, our parents cooked all the time and because we didn't have that McDonald's money, you know. <laughs> and, I mean, there's also a, a lot more of, I would say, meaning when you create a meal too. There's a lot more like when you're consuming something that you made and took the time to process and cook, like there's a hell of a lot more impact when you're eating it. You feel like, damn, like I made this and it's pretty good. You know what I mean? Right. And right. like, it always kind of hurt me. Like I'd be at my buddy's house and his mom would make something or his dad would make something. He'd be like, this tastes awful. And I'm like, dude, just choke it down, man. Cause you don't know how hard they work just to be able to make that for you. Like right. my grandparents, um, my grandma, shout out to her. She, she made the idea <laughs> instilled into us when we were kids, um, clean plate club. That meant you ate everything on your plate and you would sit there all night until it was gone. And she would make, I mean, these uh, crazy, crazy meals. I mean, it's like long processed. And as a selfish kid, like myself at the time, I would go for two glasses of chocolate milk before I would eat anything on my plate. And I was a simple guy. Give me a hot dog. Give me a burger. Give me something like, don't put anything on it. Don't do any of this. She always tried to spice it up. You know, if she made a hot dog, she put all these other condiments on it, put all these things on there thinking this is really going to be what I wanted. She would go and get ribeyes and steaks and cook them on these long processes and then chop them up, put them in soup. And she would go way out of her way to get into the creative world of cooking. And I would just sit there and be like, it's, I don't like it. I don't like it. Now, 
I'm not eating it, not eating it, and push it away. And I realized now as I'm older how that must have hurt her and how she spent all her time doing that. I mean, yeah. she ended up being like, well, you're going to sit there until it's gone. But oh, yeah. As I'm older now and I look back on that, like I saw what she meant, eating your vegetables, eating this, don't fill up on the chocolate milk. And like I, she messaged me the other day because her birthday's today. And she was like, she was like, hey, on my birthday, me and um, you know, your your niece and everything, we're gonna we're gonna make pretzel sticks, those things you guys love. And I'm like, all right, put them in the freezer. I'll be up there when 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 they're done. You know what I mean? Like it's always that, like to know that she still does it today and she's teaching like like my little niece how to do it now. And I'm older, I'm like, damn, take advantage of that. Like that's absolutely something you're really enjoy. Like eating something that you create, making soups i would love to know how to bake but it's i i didn't have that option at the time when i was a kid you know i was right. i didn't I, that wasn't my interest and nobody was around to teach me i didn't have somebody to guide me through that i definitely think these are lost forms of art and lost forms of cooking in general that you don't see too much every now and again i think a lot of people are diving into it now especially I, when they get older but it's not seen at young ages and I agree. And, you know, it's, it really is, uh, for the feminists out there, I'm sorry, but it really is a domesticated art. And, and a lot of these recipes were passed down by women to other women. You know, you, you had your housewives of the 50s, and it's just the way it was. And I think a little bit, too, with feminism came a little bit of like, we're coming out of the kitchen, we're not doing it anymore. But you had a whole generation of men before that who really weren't in the kitchen unless, you know, they were actual chefs. And so it's, as these generations have gone on, we've kind of lost this art of family dinners and cooking. And, and I'm not trying to, you know, bash the movement because I'm all about equality. But it's kind of hurt future generations a little bit because kids aren't in the kitchen anymore with mom cooking. And, you know, I, I've really instilled in my daughter, I had her cooking, you know, simple things, scrambled eggs and such from the age of four and five. And... and those are things that now I feel confident she can make by herself and she's 10. So if you're not there to put that foundation, if, you know, mom's working, cause you know, it's expensive. Mom's got to work now or, or grandma's not around anymore. Who's there to teach these kids? You know, it, it's a microwave. You got hot pockets and stuff. And <laughs> as much as I love the microwave, I think it was kind of the death of real home cooking because there was no need because with the microwave came TV dinners. Well, mom doesn't have to cook anymore. You know, and so there's been this whole kind of domino effect between mom leaving the kitchen and then, you know, all of these new inventions where cooking is really just a restaurant thing and, and people don't know how to do it. And it's really kind of sad, you know, to lose that family atmosphere that came with cooking. It's the problem the way our society kind of runs today. I mean, we saw the economy got worse and then you had a single mom that had three kids and she was trying to work two jobs and still have time to cook food for her family. It was much easier to stop at a fast food place, grab a chicken nugget meal or a couple of cheeseburgers and then bring them home to the kids and then run right back out. You know, Absolutely. we replaced convenience um, or quickness from the original form where it was supposed to be decadence and enjoyment. Uh, crafting out wonderful prepared meals. I mean, I'm sure your husband being from, you know, you said he was from England. 
New England. He's from, New yeah, England. he grew up in Maine. <laughs> yeah, if he had some New England clam chowder, like a nice home cooked New England clam chowder. Now I'm just cracking a New England reference. It's the same thing in the name, but like, <laughs> hey, it is delicious. Listen, I love it. <laughs> let me tell you something. I would kill, especially in this weather where it's like cold outside, a mm-hmm. nice warm homemade soup or like something that's been cooking in the crock pot to where you go downstairs and you're smelling it throughout the whole entire house. Yes. And you're like, oh, it's the best. You go over and lift up the thing and try and get a whiff of it and then someone tells you no it's not ready yet it's got a couple more hours you're like ah yeah it's that anticipation though that makes it taste so good the minute you have it that whole day you knew it was going to taste amazing all day and you finally get it and it is amazing and that's the best so did the inspiration for cooking like from being a kid like did did it did, did your mom did your grandma did anybody try and bring this more into your life or into more of your kind of grasp or at least dip your toes into it a little bit um you know <laughs> If they did, I don't have like a very strong, like instant memory. I remember my father was always a very good cook. Um, I always enjoyed the things he made. And I remember him teaching me how to make scrambled eggs. And my mother, you know, always cooked meals. I was the oldest of four. And that poor woman was always busy um, (laughs) cooking. You strike me as a breakfast for dinner kind of gal. Oh, absolutely. And if you're not a breakfast for dinner type of guy, like we can't even hang out because that is the best meal of the day. That's literally whenever my dad was home and my mom was working or something, my dad cooked breakfast for dinner. So what was the one thing that you ate for breakfast for dinner that you loved the most? Um, scrambled eggs bacon and then like a new york strip now do you put Uh, a new york strip dude just like i can't eat the whole thing but i want some of it (laughs) with the bacon and eggs (laughs) who the fuck eats that for breakfast a new york Um, strip holy people come on man like it's an elegant breakfast i don't care it's it's the only way to go man (laughs) we we do it in our house and my husband is very happy when it's made (laughs) get your butler to drive you to a private yacht afterwards holy crap maybe (laughs) (laughs) for me mine my dad would always make french toast and then i remember i got and i talked about it before in the podcast but i had a bad experience with fireball um and this is like why i don't drink now like i'm 21 haven't even bought a legal drink of alcohol because i had a really bad experience with fireball where i like i basically went i'm a fitness freak like i said so i went to the gym after i had this bad experience and i sweated nothing but cinnamon oh. for like two days straight and i sweated nothing but spicy nacho doritos too i can't i haven't eaten a dorito in seven years and i have not touched anything cinnamon in seven years and if you cook it around me i'll get sick to my stomach really oh my gosh Ooh. so wait it's, I, it's that one alcohol right everyone has that one alcohol that they always remember that they what, can never drink again okay then i'm gonna switch it to you what's your one alcohol um <laughs> probably i would say oh my gosh what would it be see now i'm not a big drinker but same same here so, well, you know what? I had a pina colada one time and I barfed my brains out all night. And so it probably, it's not even just the alcohol. It's just the whole pina colada. I think it's just too sweet. It's too much. And I just, 
I remember puking all night and it was disgusting. It, it's not as good coming back up as it is going down. It's also why I can't eat fast food. I remember I ate like, I think two McChickens from McDonald's one time and I got so severely sick where I can't even go to McDonald's. Like I, I'll go through drive through and maybe get a toy if my buddy's getting a meal or something. Yeah, I'll still get a <laughs> right. toy. I don't right care. Right on. Yeah, and, sure. Um, why not? Yeah, they got they had when the Lion King came out. I immediately was like, "Let me get a toy." And they're like, "What'd you say?" I'm like, "Can I get a toy?" And they're like, "You're a grown ass man." I'm like, "Yeah." And I'm asking you, "Can Nostalgia, I get a toy, man?" Yeah. They're like, "What? What toy do you want?" I'm like, "I don't know. What do you got?" And he started giving me options and stuff. I was like, "All right, all right. I see how it is. I wish I could have did this when I was a kid instead of making my mom drive back around to go get me a different toy." Right. And because honestly, when you're a kid, the Happy Meal was just about the toy. Who cares about the food? Like, you just want the toy. That's what you were paying for. That's all you were paying for because the food costs like a dollar fifty to make. (laughs) If you would have been like, hey, do you want chicken nuggets or do you want a toy? I'd be like, give me the toy. I'll survive Mm -hmm. off air. I got an allergy. It's okay. Absolutely. So, okay. Now, when it comes to your eggs, how do you like your eggs? Scrambled every time. You don't like the yolk? Yeah, it's fine. I felt like when I was a kid, I liked them scrambled. My dad always makes them scrambled. But then when it comes to like, I like sometimes like putting the like the full egg, like cutting off all the side parts to it and then getting just where the yolk is still kind of solid. None of it's came out and then putting it in my mouth and like kind of pressing down and having it all just juice out into the mouth. Are you talking like raw? No, I'm not talking about taking like a raw and like cracking it open in my mouth or anything. I'm talking about like <laughs> when you're cooking an egg and okay, you, make, all right. you know you get it to where like the, the yolk is still in there. Like that's how you can get them. I don't know what that's right. called. That's called sunny so, side up or something. So like a sunny side up, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah I got and you now. You, you cut off all the edges, making sure that none of the yolk has come out yet. Like I do this like operation style. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. When, when you do that, taking the yolk like on like a spoon or something like the full middle part the solid part and just throwing it right in your mouth and then biting down on it having all of it like just contained dude that's that's like pretty hardcore because i (laughs) i don't think i've ever done that with an egg yolk and i feel like if i watch somebody do that i'd be like you're kind of a badass it's hard as hell but i swear (laughs) it's the most enjoyable feeling when you get done they're like you had sunny side eggs where's all the yolk on your plate i'm like "Uh uh-uh it was I, i i enjoyed every last bite of that egg I mean, ooh, ooh. <laughs> now, are you a that's savage? A one. Are you a savage that put ketchup on his eggs? Oh my god, I put ketchup on everything, and my it pisses <laughs> my husband off. My dad's from Baltimore, and that whole—that's a Baltimore thing too. They all they do is put ketchup on their eggs, and I just look at them like. I never trust a man that puts ketchup on his eggs. He goes, well, I made your eggs. So, you know, if you're not going to eat yours, let me know. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) I put ketchup on my grilled cheese. Really? I mean, yeah. And it's delicious. See, now my, my parents are both from the Bronx. So they're from New York and New Yorkers put mustard on everything. And I think I'm probably one of the most disappointing New Yorkers out there because I'm not a huge fan of mustard. And I, I'm not a, it doesn't matter what kind it is. I just don't like it, but you give me ketchup and I will eat ketchup with anything. I remember my dad always said, like, I always know when I don't cook something right. And he goes, why? I go, why? He goes, because you always dump ketchup all over it. I'm like, yeah, you burnt the shit out of this hot dog. It's not good at all. (laughs) Right. You need the ketchup. When I was a kid, I, I hated, uh, I hated fish when I was a kid. And so I would put tartar sauce on everything. I mean, just like, smother it in tartar sauce and i think that's a great way of just masking flavors you got to find that perfect condiment and stick with it 
So, I mean, I, I really appreciate you doing the podcast. It's been awesome talking to you. I want to give you here a minute at the end to please promote your website and your your little, you know, your sweet treats, delight pastry shop. I really want you to kind of promote this out there because I want people to find your awesome content. Oh, cool. Thanks. Yeah. And I just want to say thank you for having me. This has been amazing. I've never actually been asked to talk about it before. So it was kind of a, a crazy thing to get it all out there. You really uh, made me think of some things I'd never never really thought about so well before hold on before you say uh where people can find you at i want to ask what was your initial thought when i sent you a message um i was like okay first of all i was like this is a fake page but then when you actually sent me a link i was like this is really cool and i listened to some of those podcasts and i was like yes i was like i have to talk about this stuff with you because you just you're a really good conversationalist and i'm not so it's really kind of a nice balance for you to get me to talk about things that I wouldn't normally talk about. Hey, you talked my ear off. All right, all right, already. <laughs> I know. Did I, I talk really fast when I talk because I just want to get it over with. And people are like, calm down. And I'm like, I'm not. I can't. I'm talking. I can't stop. But. Um, <laughs> see, I, I'm, I'm still going. I like. I need to hey, shut up. <laughs> it's it's great conversation. I mean, I appreciate you reaching out. And then, first of all, listening to the episodes and at least giving me a chance here too. Yeah. Because I, you know, I, I think you know anybody can have a conversation, and I really enjoy at least like all of them, and especially the one I have with you today. You opened up my world to a whole new thing of baking, and you know for sure I'm coming to you for tips. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, listen, you've got to try and bake something. Start somewhere. Don't be afraid. Just do something simple. Just a cookie. You know, get well, get uh, yourself out there and uncomfortable. Is that the baby steps is a cookie? I really think so. I think a cookie is really simple. I mean, if you follow it step by step, you can't mess it up. See, I, the well, thing is, you can. with the with the biscuits and the dough, you know, like the, the Pillsbury dough thing, like where you twist it and it pops. Yeah, they used to scare me as a. Yeah, they used to scare the crap out of me as a kid. Where I won't even do it now. It still terrifies me to this day. I like, you know, you got to like put it way far away from your body before you do it, and you're like, oh, I I hate it to this day. It literally sounds like my grandpa when he's getting out of bed. He's like pop pop <laughs> pop. I'm like, damn. So it happens we get old. He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right. That's so funny. And I've never found a good way to open those to where you don't get it to pop. You know, like. I, I was hoping there would be some kind of like YouTube trick. Be like, oh, you know, you, you put an air hole or something in it and then it doesn't pop. Nope. Nope. I, so, my buddy did it with a knife, like with a giant chef knife was just stabbing holes into it. I was like, if is that thing going to explode? And where is that knife going to go if it does? What are What's going to happen to those? This going to be like really chopped up biscuits, though. <laughs> he just started stabbing the can. I was like, stop. You're going to hurt right. somebody. Yeah. We don't even trust you with safety scissors. Right. Well, And, you know, I think opening a can of Pillsbury is just like a universal adult fear. We all just have to really get over it. And the only way to do that is just repeatedly open it. <laughs> There's nothing else to do. Everyone I know is afraid of that thing. Conquer the fear. That's it. Right. <laughs> Got to have the eye of the tiger, right? Right. No kidding. Or you know what? Just get a kid, an unsuspecting child to do it for you. That's if you just, can't, you know, get over the fear. Just trick them. That's it. They're <laughs> so gullible. It's not hard. <laughs> like, it reminds me of my very first mistake when I tried to stick a knife in a toaster. Oh my God. 
I my toast <laughs> no broke off. No comment on that. That's... Look, my toast, the thing that pops it out, little spring broke. Yeah. So it got stuck in the toaster. And instead of being, a, you know, I was only like 11, instead of unplugging it from the wall and then grabbing it with like a spoon or something, I decided just to take a knife and try and scrape it out. Yeah. How was that life lesson for you? It was shockingly awesome. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, oh my goodness. Please, Tara, can you give give us some um, your kind of lowdown on the cookie sheet? Yeah. So, yep. So that's my page is the cookie sheet. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook. Um, it's actually the Cookie Sheet Co. And um, I'm based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. So you know you can always message me if you need any kind of orders. And you know I, I work with everybody. Everyone likes to give me Pinterest um, cookies to make. So if you really don't know what you want to make, I suggest you go on Pinterest and then send me a picture and I can replicate it for you. Ooh, can you replicate a cookie of my podcast logo? Oh my gosh, absolutely. That'd be awesome. I can do it for you. That'd be the first cookie pastry podcast thing I've, I don't know. I don't even think that's a big thing. I got to dominate the industry. We're going to (laughs) form together and we're going to create... Cookie podcasts. Cookie podcasts. Cookie podcasts. You get to eat multiple different cookies on a podcast, and that's all it is, like ASMR, just gnawing cookies. But I want the burnt ones to where people are listening to it, like, is he chewing a brick? (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm, like, gagging thinking about that. I can hear his teeth breaking. Oh, that's a a, – I bet you that's a good uh, ASMR. People would like that one. Just the sound of porcelain just breaking. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Just fall asleep to it. It's so soothing. Well, thank you so much, Tara, for being on this episode of Out of the Blanket. Stay tuned for our next episode.